0: I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Jameson and Lauren Malcolm. They led a large and thriving campus ministry in the Philadelphia Church. Now, they lead a church and campus ministry in State College, Pennsylvania, the home of Penn State University. Jameson and Lauren talk about the development of the campus ministry after 2003, the current state of the campus ministry, and what successful campus ministries are doing to grow. All this and more on the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Jameson and Lauren, welcome to the program.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Really appreciate it. Thank you. We're excited
0: to be here. It is great to have you guys. I've gotten to know you through my son-in-law, Felipe Marias. He moved here a couple years ago and was talking about Jameson Malcolm and then Dom Dom Munson had moved here prior to that and he knew about you and so it's enabled me to make a connection with what's happening up in the Northeast and and your work there so it's really great to to talk to both of you guys now you guys are living in State College Pennsylvania is that right?
1: That's right. Okay. Home of Penn State University.
0: Okay. The Nittany Lions, right? Penn State. Yeah, you got hey. it. Okay. Now, I just have got to say, couldn't they have been a little more creative by naming that? State College? That's the name of the town? I mean, come on, guys. It's like...
1: You know, I feel like you're being a little critical right now. And,
0: uh, I'm, I didn't know you had feelings about it. I would have prepared an argument, but uh, I was a little caught off guard by this. I, I just go, okay, who were those guys that say, that? what are we going to name the city? Well, we've got the State College here. Let's just call it State College. Okay, <laughs> yeah. let's do that. Okay, I I think, any-
2: I think it could be because Nittany is really hard for people to say. They call this area like Mount Nittany and the Nittany Valley, but a lot of people stumble on that. So I think maybe they just went first state college. It was too hard. It was,
0: it was lazy. Exactly. Okay. So anyway, back, back, back to it. How'd you guys become Christians? You want to go first?
2: Sure. Uh, So I actually grew up in a church. My parents um, both grew up in believing households and had parents who taught them about God, loved God, Um, but there were some things missing for sure. Um, and so they actually, my dad's best friend from elementary school was studying medicine. He was, um, in med school at Harvard or in residency at Harvard. And he was reached out to, and he started studying the Bible with my dad through cassette tapes, (laughs) um, first principles, cassette tapes. My dad was in Chicago also doing his residency. My parents were converted when I was six months old. Um, so I, I was baptized in the presbyterian church as a baby obviously i didn't remember that but um but i think for me uh, growing up in a church i was always really inspired by what i saw um in in terms of how i really did feel like people were living out their christianity and really living according to what the bible taught and said and um My parents, my dad was a physician. He was ear, nose, and throat surgeon, uh, but he also did ministry. And when I was about six years old, um, actually, so we lived in Chicago when I was three, we moved to Detroit for my dad to complete medical training, but also they're planting the church in Detroit at the time. My parents were part of the planting. And then in 1991, they were asked to move to LA really just for the reason to be trained in ministry. And, um, And so I was six at the time and both of my parents are, are native San Diegans. And if you know anything about San Diegans, they hate Los Angeles, um, loathe it. In fact, you know, swore they would never live there. So, uh, so they, they ended up moving back to LA or not back, but they moved to LA to be trained in the ministry. And, uh, when I was 10 years old, we actually were asked as a family to move to Jerusalem, Israel, to plant the church there. Um, and my dad at the time kind of gave up medicine in order to be able to do that. Um, and that was an incredible experience. I think that revolutionized, I mean, just, it put skin on the bones of my faith. I mean, to walk the temple steps, to, to go to the Jordan river and know that's where Jesus was baptized to swim in the sea of Galilee. It just, it made the Bible come alive. And, and I think I was at an age too, where I could understand that. And it inspired me to really want to follow Jesus too. Um, when we, we ended up coming back to Los Angeles a year later, which wasn't the original plan. And that was actually a really challenging transition, but I think it really helped me to have to really fight for my faith, for myself. And, um, and it was during that time that I started studying the Bible and uh, made the decision that, honestly, I think I was, at the time I was going to a very, very wealthy um, preparatory school and we were living in a, in a part of LA that was, was a little bit rougher. Um, and so I I was a little caught between both worlds. Um, but I think for me, it really showed me that heaven was my home and that this, this world wasn't going to be it. Um, and I just, I remember feeling like, man, if all life is about is working and, you know, producing results and is this it? Like, is this is this all there is? Um, I felt like there had to be more even as a 13 year old. And so that's really when I made the decision that I wanted to, to make Jesus Lord. And, um, and I remember thinking about, man, the rest of my life, that's a really long time. But, um, but I just, I saw the fulfillment in my parents' lives and other disciples' lives. And, and I knew that I wanted something deeper than just the you know like the wealth and riches of and fame and kind of the lure of this world that i knew wasn't gonna last or satisfy.
0: wow okay so what are your parents names uh, henry and lana kramer okay okay there we go i've heard that name before okay so you are kingdom kid legacy there <laughs>
2: <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs>
0: okay okay great so do you have any brothers and sisters or
2: yeah, I have two sisters, one, um, Carol Ann Shapiro. She's married to Mike and Mary Shapiro's son, Rob. And they live in Atlanta, Georgia. And then I have another sister who lives actually in in England, in London, um, Diana Mancu. Now she married um, a guy, Alex Mancu from England.
0: Okay, okay, great. So, and, so you're from... So, Primarily Southern California, and you ended up way up in Northern Pennsylvania. I go, wow, where's the ocean there? for the Lord. <laughs> no, I mean, I love San Diego. That's a place Pam and I love to go to. I mean, it's it's nice, A little, little piece of heaven right here in in the lower forty-eight. But let's not get not get off track. What about you, Jameson? How'd you become Christians?
1: Yeah, so. Um... I mean, it's very different than Lauren's story. So she comes from a very stable, generational type family. And uh, without going into all the details and airing all the dirty laundry, um, I come from not that, you know, And uh, it's uh, I I love my family and love my experience. But there was a lot uh, of dysfunction, you know, and so. I'll try to give the cliff notes version, but I think it's an interesting story. So I might wax philosophic a little bit, if that's all right. Go ahead. Um, so uh, my parents were divorced when I was a, a baby, maybe an infant. And um, so we kind of went back and forth, um, my, my sister and I, between my dad's home. And he was very, um, very religious Southern Baptist. And so I kind of grew up there uh, on, you know, every other week and we'd go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday. I think I even had like homework from church that I you know needed to do and um and then my mom was not religious at the time and so uh it was much more um we had a lot more freedom to do what we wanted to do. And uh, it was an interesting sort of compare and contrast. Uh but then actually when I was in middle school my mom became a disciple in the Uh, athens church of christ and uh, got married uh, to a guy who she had dated previously um before they were both christians and so i actually grew up around the church for my middle school years um and uh they ended up getting a divorce and my mom was going through some stuff and uh, so i went to go live with her because i knew if i lived with her for high school i could do whatever i wanted to do and so that's pretty much what i did whatever I wanted to do, you know, but he stayed faithful. And, um, uh, you know, he he and I stayed connected, even though he was now at this point, my ex stepdad. Um, and so uh, throughout uh, high school, I was just partying a lot. I played sports. And so that kept me a little bit straight arrow. But uh, by the time I was in college, there was no sports. Um, and so I just, you know, just partied all the time and did that kind of typical freshman Uh, college party scene and realized pretty quickly I didn't like what I was doing dropped out uh went out to California and worked on this ranch and was living sort of the like dirtbag California cowboy lifestyle for about six months and traveled around the country and blew all the money that I made and um and uh then I came back to Athens Georgia where I'm from and uh I wasn't really connected to anybody in my family at that point, except for my ex stepdad, who at this point was now um, remarried in the church and uh, had a couple of kids. And so I went to go, um, stay with him in his basement. He gave me a job, uh, doing landscape and gave me a truck to di- drive. And that's how I got, uh, connected to disciples. And, um, so I started eventually started studying the Bible and, um, I got baptized on campus at the university of georgia in a lake at like 10 at night um, on a wednesday night and it's called lake herrick and if for anybody in georgia they might know about this lake but Pretty soon after I got baptized, they closed the lake down for swimming because it was the water was too toxic. And I like to, to say there was probably my sin left over <laughs> in the water that made it toxic and I shut it down. Um, but that was when I was 20 years old, April 17th, 2002. I turned 40 just a couple months ago. And so this year is gonna be my 20th spiritual birthday. So I'm pretty excited about that.
0: That's awesome. So, okay, couple questions. First of all, yeah, did you go to the University of Georgia? Uh, yeah, we both did. Yeah, yep. oh, oh, you both went there. Okay, they had a That's really we got to know each they other. They had a really big campus ministry there for for a long time. Was yeah. was Sam Lang leading the campus or the church at, when you were baptized?
1: Uh, so n- not not when I was baptized. No, that was Sonny Sessions who led the Swamp Camp for a while, uh, or for a long long time, um, and then. That was in two thousand two, two thousand three, I think everybody on staff, including the campus minister and all of the the campus leaders and stuff, they they sort of either quit or left. And then that next year Sam Lang came in and they hired um, Kevin Kevin Elizabeth. And so they were our campus ministers for most yeah. of the time.
0: Kevin oh Kevin Kevin Thompson. Kevin Thompson, that's his son Sam's son in law. Yeah, that's right. Okay, yep. got it. Okay. All right. First of all, little little sidebar. Athens Great music scene. Oh yeah. Home of the B fifty twos, which is going way back to when I was in college in the eighties. And REM. REM.
1: I used to I used to go to parties that Michael Stipe threw in this old abandoned church building. Mm-hmm. And it was weird. I'm not gonna go into any details, but it got weird. <laughs> and this was obviously BC days before as a Christian, but but I will say Athens is a fantastic town it was a great place to grow up and i you know i love music and local music and all that kind of stuff because of where i'm from so yeah athens great
0: town yeah i've been there one time really cool place very atmospheric yeah. and and uh just a very neat place so that's that's awesome okay so how did you guys end up in the ministry my ego yeah
1: okay <laughs> so after i graduated um so when I was in college, I was studying a bunch of different things, and um, I went on a Hope Youth Corps uh, to South Africa, and it was my first uh, Hope Youth Corps experience. And I came back, decided I wanted to work for Hope Wide, changed my major, um, and that became the ambition. And um, graduated the next year, and actually got to got a job with uh, Hope Worldwide. And um, my first day at the corporate office up in uh, Philly, just outside of Philly. Pat Gimple, who was my direct boss, gave me this flow chart of all of the the corporate staff. And it was Bob and Pat, and then all the country directors and office directors, everybody else. And then I was at the very bottom. (laughs) But the cool thing was, the really amazing thing was, my flow sort of skipped everybody else and went straight to Pat. Wow. And um, my office, my office was just a desk that was outside of her office with a glass. Uh, wall in between. And so I just got to watch Pat and Bob uh, move and shake for about a year. And was it was an amazing, amazing first job. And I got to travel around the country and uh, visit a lot of different churches with that job and help organize volunteer corps and youth corps. And um, and I was also, I asked Walter and Kim Evans if I could help out with campus ministry in Philly. And the campus ministry at that time was sort of rebuilding and uh he said yeah you know of course and and walter started discipling me um and that was an amazing connection to have with him and so anyway through those relationships with the Gimples and the Evanses, um they all sort of came to the conclusion unbeknownst to me that i should go into the ministry instead of work for hope and um and uh so they offered me that job and said you know you gotta you got a week to to decide and i I pretty much knew right when Walter asked me that that's what I wanted to do because um, I sort of thought now or never, like this is the perfect, I've always thought about being a minister full time, and this is the perfect time to do it, but I wanted to take that, that full week, you know, and so that was in um, 2007, and the campus ministry was really small, and even, you know, nationally, there was not a whole lot going on in campus ministry, and so I, I was flying blind a little bit. And um, at that point, Lauren graduated and had moved up to Philly. We were dating and, um, and she got a job, really a, sort of a prestigious job as a research assistant at University of Pennsylvania. Because she's a real smart, real smart girl, mm-hmm. real good. And uh, so I was in, working in the ministry. She was working at UPenn. And then eventually she was asked to go into the ministry. And uh, do you want to share about that a little bit?
2: Yeah, sure. I think, um, yeah, so for me, I think going into the ministry looked a little bit differently. Um, although I think I think what was helpful, I would say, is um, the summer before my senior year of college, I went to Monterey, Mexico for a summer, kind of on like a mission team to help. Started campus ministry at one of their elite universities called ITESM. Um, it's Instituto Te- Instituto Tecnológico de Estudios Superiores de Monterrey. Wow, <laughs> <It's like laughs> big name. <laughs> but it's like their MIT basically. It was started by two MIT grads, and uh, you couldn't even get on campus if you didn't if you weren't a student there. And so there were about five or six of us. Most most of the people were from LA, but it was kind of a ministry training experience. Um, and we were really fortunate to learn from Kevin and Elizabeth Thompson, because they had the Institute, um, the Athens Institute of Ministry was in Athens, Georgia, when we were in college. So we got to learn from D- Douglas Jacoby and from Sam Lang, and we got to go down and meet Chuck Lucas. And um, so I think that framework had already been laid. And um, I was still pretty reticent, I would say, to go into the ministry. <laughs> That's a <laughs>
1: That's a total understatement. So, I, was it when I decided to go into the ministry? So, I think I I told her that I had decided to go into ministry and she started weeping. Oh, because yeah. of her past experiences oh, in LA in the 90s and all that stuff. Well,
2: I think my so so just to paint the picture, I graduated from high school in 2003. Oh boy. And this is this is now 2007, I'm graduating from college, nobody is going into the ministry. Yeah um and and it was scary because i think i had watched i i had watched a lot of leaders who i knew and loved um you know some some were doing fine and some were not and it was hard it was hard to watch that it was hard to i think see you know i was i was afraid of health issues because i think I, i Felt like, well, a lot of the women I know that had done it for a long time seemed to struggle with health challenges. And I was having starting to have my own health challenges at the time. And so it just scared me. Um, but I think what was helpful for me, so for sure, I was fearful. Yeah, and I was I was very fearful. What was helpful for me is I think I did feel called by God individually, like I think. I didn't, I didn't just feel like I was being called in the ministry because I was like attached to Jameson. I think. Cause I remember even when I was interviewing in Philly, someone actually anonymously donated money for there to be a campus intern. And the way God worked it out was just amazing. I had a great job, but they let me go down to part-time. I had just switched from part-time to full-time and then asked to be back, put back down to part-time so I could do the ministry. And they were a little confused, but, um, uh, but God worked it all out. And, and I think what helped me, I remember was the Campbells, James and Kim Campbell, who are now in South Florida, but they were like, well, if even if you and Jameson break up, like, would you still want to do this? And I remember having to really count the cost. Like, am I doing this because of Jameson or am I doing this because I feel called by God? And and I had, I, had had, I mean, I'd had careful conversations with Jameson about going into the ministry because I was a very ambitious young woman and had a lot of career goals. Um, but I also had tearful conversations with my dad about just not letting my fear be my driver and my, my Lord, really. I mean, just not not letting that make the decision for me. And so I think it was, it was really through those conversations that I realized I just needed to try and see. And if if it wasn't the right fit, I could always get out of it. And I think I've seen that for a lot of younger people, you know, you can kind of get fixated on like, Oh my gosh, if I make this choice, is it Am I stuck with it for forever. Mm-hmm. Like who you marry? Yes. Right. <laughs> or, <you know>. right. <laughs> stuck
0: with me forever.
2: <laughs> in a good way. In a good way. Um, but jobs, no, you know, you can, you can always get out if you need to. Right. Um,
0: was, was it your ambition at that point to be a doctor like your dad?
2: No, I did not want to do medicine. I, at the time I actually wanted to go to law school Um. I've always had like a deep desire to fight for justice. I, I would call myself like a clandestine revolutionary. <laughs> I love to study re- revolutions. I love to study what prompts people to reach points where they really want to like shake up the world and change things. I studied Latin American and Caribbean studies in college.
1: If we hadn't started so. dating her senior year, second semester, she may have just moved down to Southern Mexico and fought with the Zapatistas or something, you know, I looked
2: into it. I did, I did did look into it. So Uh, are you,
0: do you speak, you must speak Spanish then?
2: I do speak Spanish.
0: Okay. Okay. So you went to UPenn now. Okay. That's an Ivy league school.
2: Yeah.
0: That's like private university. One of the Ivy league schools. Correct. Okay. So from that time, can you guys give us an overview of where you've been in the ministry? What what happened, and how'd you get to where you're at now?
1: Sure. So we went into ministry in 07, and then Lauren, I think it was 08. Mm-hmm. We got married in 08. Um, and uh, at that point, the campus ministry in Philly was you know, sort of small, and so we were able to— kind of ride the wave of momentum and saw a lot of really great things over the next several years in campus ministry there. Um, and uh, that was a really amazing time. It was really refining for my own just character. Um, so we were just focused on campus for several years. And then um, then we were asked to lead a region of the Philly church uh, in conjunction with the campus ministry. And so our last year or so in philadelphia we're leading a region uh in the western suburbs about 200 people and a campus ministry of you know 60 some people and kind of bouncing between city and and um suburbs and then the various colleges all around the philadelphia area so at one point you know i, I remember spending like um part of the day out in villanova in the far western suburbs and then driving to south jersey to um rutgers camden for a bible talk and then going into the city At temple and it was just it was crazy crazy times but a lot of fun Mm -hmm. and um i remember a lot of angst and stress and anxiety and feeling like i wasn't performing well and stuff in the moment but when i look back on it all i remember is just what an amazing time it was and uh so much happened and i i think i and we learned a whole lot during that time um and so then uh in Um, The the church here in State College had been planted in 2007 with uh, Kip and Bethany Harms, who are now out in California, and they did a great job, Um, but some difficulties arose. They had to move, and so the church here was without leadership uh, for a few years and sort of shrunk down to probably 15 people. And they were that way for, uh, you know, a couple of years. And so we just sort of had it on our heart. I mean, we came from a college town, Athens, Georgia. We came from a really dynamic campus ministry and uh, we loved where we were at in Philly, loved the people we were with and loved our neighborhood in West Philly. It was just a fantastic situation, but just felt like um, there's probably other people who could do that job, you know, and there were people raising up. Uh, through the campus ministry ranks, who could sort of take our place there, but we didn't see anybody else who was really uh, sort of chomping up a bit to come here. And we felt like we were probably uniquely qualified. And really, really, we were both, we we did an internship here where we, we were here for um, about a month and we got some campus interns uh, to work at Penn State and it went really well. And after that, we were both thinking, man, we could move here and lead the church but actually Lauren's the one who said it. I I didn't have the faith to say it and she did. And I was like, yeah, you're right, we we should move here. And um, so really, I mean, it was her sort of catalyst. And uh, we talked to the Evanses and they felt great about it. And um, we sort of had an overlap with the, the people who were gonna take our place in campus ministry, Curt and Christina Flinchbaugh. Um, And uh, so we had six months where we were able to work with them, and then they took our place in Philly. Uh, We moved out here. And actually now the Flinchbaugh's are leading a church in Lehigh, uh, Pennsylvania. And so uh, it's been a really great experience. And and so we've been here in State College and working with Penn State since 2013. Mm -hmm. And we've been on the campus service team for most of that time. Uh, We've also always, I think since probably 2006, we've always been Uh, involved with Hope for Kids and the camp and we're there almost every summer and uh, we'll probably talk a little bit more about that when we start talking about leadership training and development but that's a really amazing place and then we've also done a lot of work with Hope Worldwide and um, been on the um, Hope Youth Corps Planning Committee and that sort of thing and so we just really really love working with youth Uh, we love working with our peers and community members as well but uh, yeah that's that's kind of our story
0: Mm. Wow, Okay. So you've been there since 2013. Um, how's it gone? You were you're leading the church plus the campus ministry. It's like 15 people. Did you take anybody with you to like replant or to strengthen or augment what you had there? Not
1: really. So um, it was just us. And then we had one student from Philly who was transferring from a Penn State branch campus. So he ended up moving with us at the same time. And he and I became really great friends. And we sort of, um, we were able to really build the campus ministry around him over the next two years. And uh, yeah, it was about 15 people. Um, The first year, I think we, we converted one person. And, you know, it was just really, slow going, but we talked a lot about, I think the first six months, we just talked about repentance and sort of the joy of repentance and, um, getting our faith back. And I think not only that the church members here, I think we needed some of that too, uh, for sure. We needed a lot of that. And, um, so over the next couple of years, momentum started to build and grew the campus ministry. And we started, um, we became a host site for the one year challenge, And so we had one year challenge interns for several years in a row, uh, which was very helpful just with numbers, just having someone to be on campus. And and so over a couple of years, it went from 15 to about 40. uh, The church did. And um, during that time, we were always sort of graduating more people than ever moved in, you know, and uh, it's that's part of the really difficult and heart-wrenching part of campus ministry is that you invest in people so much and you see them raise up and then you send them off. And and so we've just had to sort of decide that we get a lot of joy from knowing that people are moving on to different places and having an impact there. And it's a kingdom impact, even if the, the sort of new numeric, um, you know, goal doesn't grow
0: here. Right. Because it's a college town. What's the, what's the, like the metropolitan area, what's the population there? So
1: for State College, it's 40,000 people in the community, and then the university is 45,000 people. So the university wow. is bigger than the town. And oh my so gosh. every one of our graduates has moved on to other places. Because wow. there's just not a whole lot of industry here.
0: Oh man, you've gotta be so kingdom-minded, so giving. That's crazy. <laughs> that reminds me of Marty Wilkinson down in College Station, Texas. He, faced, yeah, he faces exactly the right. same challenge of, of a dedicated campus ministry town that it's tough really yeah. challenging
1: the the amazing thing though is that Philadelphia in particular and then the ACR churches in general have really seen this as an investment and so even though this church here couldn't afford a full-time couple um the ACR churches have decided that this place in Penn State is is worth the investment and so financially we get a lot of help from the outside and um we even just recently were awarded a grant from the acr mission society so we can hire campus interns and outside of all of that sort of just collective support i mean it would be near impossible but um but because it's seen as an investment we help convert people here raise people up and send them off so it's definitely a mutually beneficial thing wow um, but without all of that support we couldn't do it
0: okay so Let's just broaden the focus from, from not just state college and Penn state. Um, you've been a part of the campus ministry committee, a campus ministry services committee for a long time. You guys have been in campus ministry and church leadership for a number of years. What do you view as the state of the campus ministries in, in our family of churches right now?
2: Yeah, that's a tough question. And it's something we've been talking about <clears throat> both as a campus committee and when we were on the campus committee, but also a part of the Next Generation Task Force as well. Uh, I mean, for sure, I think there is a huge, huge need to revive our campus ministries. Um, some have even asked is, you know, is it in crisis? Like what what is the current state um, I think that depends on who you talk to, if you, you know. But I think that there's definitely. Um, it's been hard. I think it's been hard hit during COVID. I think it's a lot of campuses weren't even, you know, open. Um, we were fortunate here because Penn State did allow students to come back last year, and even though they had to be masked and a lot of classes were online, so it was still it was still tricky but um but i think i think that there's just a lot of turmoil is kind of how it feels it feels like this generation who's and i feel i feel a lot of empathy in my heart towards them because i can't imagine being in college and having every having my college years in some ways kind of taken away from a pandemic like half half their college time is being, you know, spent during the pandemic. Um, So I do, I, my, my heart goes out to them. I feel like it's challenging. I also feel like the world is a bit in crisis right now. Um, Not a bit actually quite, (laughs) quite a lot. Um, And I think, I think that what I've noticed, yeah, I don't want to get off topic from your question, but I think, yes, I think there's, There's a need for revival. I think there's a lot of people wanting to see more, but I think just not knowing how to make that happen.
1: Yeah. I think I I like to look at, I'm a big picture person. um, And so Lauren helps me out a lot with the details, which I need. (laughs) Otherwise I would just live in the future all the time, you know? Um, But uh, so when I think about the big picture, I would say probably from 2007 to 2012 or 13, our campus ministries were, were growing pretty quickly across the country. And um, uh, during that time, I mean, it was sort of a rebuilding stage, 06, 07, 08. And then we started to see a lot of fruit from that rebuilding um, in the early 2010s. And we probably hit a high mark as far as conversions nation, nationwide in 2010, uh, 2012, 13 or 14, somewhere around there. Uh, but then from that time until 2019, uh, we were still converting people, but that number was a bit smaller every year. And um, and then in 2020, all of us lost all of our momentum and campus ministry is so much about momentum because you've got a semester to work with, so just sure. a real short timeline, um, a year, or then you have people for two years or four years maybe. And so we lost a lot of momentum. And so we're in another rebuilding stage, I would say, equal to the that 2006 2007 sort of rebuilding stage. Um, but I can't I can't say that it was all just the pandemic because I think that probably just exposed some trends that were there already. And I've got some ideas about why that might be. But uh, I think to try to answer your question, I think we are in another rebuilding stage, like we were post 2003, and like we were in. 2007, and and we're back there where we need to refocus, and re-energize campus, and and church leaders need to reinvest in campus ministry and interns.
0: Okay, so that's a good segue into the next question. What are the most successful campus ministries doing, relatively successful that need to be imitated? You know, which ones are doing doing well, and why? What what's what's working out there?
1: Yeah. Well, let me first preface by saying we we stepped down from the campus service team at the beginning of this year, uh, and we're able to appoint a, a younger couple to take our place in the ACR. And so we don't have uh, quite as much of a, a pulse on campus nationwide as we would have maybe a couple of years ago. But having said that, there are definitely some outliers. Um, North River in Atlanta has been producing a lot of leaders for a long, long time, and um, they're converting a lot of people. And I think they've also experienced a, a downtick over the last two years, which is to be expected. But if you look at the trend of the North River Church, they've been very, very productive and uh, produced a lot of leaders that are leading across the Southeast now. And they've been intentional about investing financially into the campus ministry and also doing uh, short training programs, mm-hmm. things like campus swap and internships and summer internships. And They've been very intentional about doing things that would build momentum. Uh, Right now, I I think about the Boston campus ministry, and um, there's some reasons for that. But Boston last semester, they had a great fall. And um, in a lot of ways, they were setting sort of setting the bar uh, and doing it very well. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's also the result of some very intentional leadership training partnership and funding investing through the Boston church and the beam mission fund. Um, and so, uh, one of the programs that has been really crucial, I think to the Boston campus ministry is a program called chance of a lifetime. And it's a partnership between hope for kids and the Boston church and the beam mission fund. And last year was the, the inaugural year actually. And so, um, It was the brainchild of some folks up in Boston and some folks at hope for kids. And we developed this program, the the big idea, it sort of grew out of the one-year challenge, except we wanted to do something that was even more intentional and with a cohort of people rather than sending one person to a place for a year. And so we, uh, through a process, we selected 15 young people. They spent the first three months at Camp Hope for Kids, and they were basically full-time staff and they trained in leadership and ministry and all aspects of running an organization and real hands-on leadership. And they also were able to build camaraderie mm-hmm. during those first three months. Um, and then they, they moved up to Boston and they're working uh, across the Boston campus ministries and regions all over that area. And um, actually right now we have, um, we're hosting Campus Swap here at Penn State. And two of our folks who we spent time with this summer at camp who are chance of a lifetime folks They're leading um, a group of Boston, Bostonians to to come down here and and encourage us. And it's been the best week of campus ministry that we've had in over two years. It's been amazing. And um, and, and what they're about to do, the chance of a lifetime, folks, they're about to go uh, in end of May or early June all over the world and train and and serve churches all over the world. And so some of them are going to be planting a church in Frankfurt, Germany. Some will go to Johannesburg, South Africa and encourage the church down there. And then some will go to Manila, Philippines and encourage the church there. And so programs like that, it's been very intentional funding, training, and also um, doing it as a team. I think that's a really important part because just to be honest, it gets lonely uh, on campus, or it gets lonely being a church leader in a small church. And, and uh, man, we need that partnership. And so that's that's just sort of a survey of some of the things that I've observed.
2: I, I'd add on to that, or kind of just to emphasize that point too. I do think um, before the pandemic hit, we were able to go to Dallas and speak at a conference there or a campus retreat there. And that was also really inspiring because the Dallas Fort Worth church has probably like 10 people in the ministry just focused on campus ministry. And, uh, and I was talking to Kelly Smith about it, but they they have funding that really f- focuses on training up leaders and putting interns in the campus ministry, I think. And the churches that I know that are building their campus ministries are, are spending money on raising up leaders. And, and not only that, but they, the church leaders themselves whether it's Tom Brown in Atlanta or Kevin Miller in Boston, really, or um, Todd Assad in Dallas, they really take a personal interest in building the campus ministry. Yeah. Um, and I think even Jameson and I felt that when we were in Philadelphia with Walter and Ken Evans. But I think that, I do think that there it is important to really, to, to, to put money honestly money and, and heart and
0: focus into the campus ministry yeah okay now you guys you guys both have your masters already and jameson you're going after more education can you talk about that and why
1: yeah sure um so lauren has a master's in clinical social work from upenn and um she's the Ivy leaguer of the family for sure uh,
0: <laughs>
1: I just barely made it out of high school and I was just happy to graduate from college you know but I like to think I'm a late bloomer so um so yeah then uh, we moved here uh, to, to state college and um, I connected with a professor um in in one of the departments here and he and I really hit it off and and so I got a master's in, um, base It's it's called Applied Youth, Family, and Community Education, um, but it's really just sort of community development, and the way I think about it is it's ministry, and it's the stuff that we do at camp, and it's training leaders, but it's just the secular side of that or the, the, the academic side of all of those things, and that master's was just a great experience. It was such a great experience, and um, through a lot of prayer, lots of prayer, God opened up doors, um, and... Penn State ended up paying me to, um, to do the master's, uh, so I was fully funded, plus they paid me a stipend, which was really helpful um, in a small church with small church finances, and um, I, I, I had this matrix basically of prayer. That I, I prayed that if it was going to be good for me and good for my family and good for our local church and good for the church overall, that God would open that door, and if it wasn't going to tick all those boxes, then he, he wouldn't open that door. And he did. And it was an amazing experience. And I, I studied youth led social justice research and was able to work with kids in North Philadelphia um, through Hope Wine and through Hope for Kids. And they studied. Uh, so we mentored these kids in North Philly basically through a, a research project and they studied police and community interactions. And this was in 2017 and 2018 when that was all over the news. And so they did this really rigorous youth led research study and we're able to present their findings to police officers and community stakeholders in Philly. And then we brought them out here to Penn State and they presented on campus to a bunch of academics. And um, And a lot of those youth researchers are now still involved with camp at Hope for Kids. And we've hired them as uh, summer staff and uh, they're just doing really well. So it was such a great experience. And I always thought about maybe going back for a Ph.D., but with that same prayer matrix, if it was going to be good for me and us as a family and the church. And so anyway, we were on uh, on the road, we were going on a vacation somewhere. I can't remember where, um, maybe just like a weekend thing. And my former advisor called me and was like, hey, what are you doing right now? And I was like, oh, I'm just driving. What's up? And he goes, you want to come back? Because I found funding. And so basically it's the same deal where um, it's full tuition actually now our um, our benefits and health insurance are covered through the university and so it's uh, it's saving the church a ton of money wow um and i have an assistantship where i get to teach two undergrad courses and so i'm able to connect with undergrad students every day i teach every morning at 9 5 a.m and i teach um, a leadership and small groups class and communications and um i'm having a lot of fun with that and then i'm studying my, my dissertation is going to be on compassionate community development and compassionate leadership and without getting all heady and, and stuff. It, um, basically, I want to look at the, the factors that make up compassionate leadership and if we can think right now, in academia, compassion is studied as an individual concept, like how can I grow in my compassion? Um, but it's not really studied as a community concept, like how can we develop as a compassionate community? And so I'd love to come up with a theory around developing compassionate communities. And um, part of the inspiration for that, I know I'm going long, but this is something I'm really passionate about. So part of the inspiration was, you know, when, when God introduces himself, he calls himself the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. And so that's compassion is the, the, first, the first word that he uses to describe his character. Uh, And so that's really, I think, important to me. And there was this other instance a couple of years ago in Philly. We work with an organization called One Day at a Time, ODAT. And it's a drug and alcohol recovery program in North Philly primarily, but they work all over the city. And um, it's one of the biggest uh, recovery organizations um, in Philadelphia, I think, maybe the biggest. and. Uh, the guy who runs it is a brother in Christ. His name is Mel Wells, and he's sort of the the mayor, unofficial mayor of North Philly, and just a real dynamic guy. And we we brought the kids from um, from from camp down there, and they were doing some service, and we got to sit in on one of their one of their group talks. And Mel was talking in front of the whole group of a couple of hundred people, and he was talking about this woman who had um, been sober for a year, and everybody stood up and was clapping, but there was one guy in the back row who was on his phone and he didn't stand up. And Mel, I I couldn't believe he did this, but he, he stopped the whole thing and was like, bro, you need to get out, get up, get out, everybody, get him out of here. You're not ready. You're not ready because you didn't celebrate this. When you're ready, you can come back, but you're not ready right now. (laughs) And I, I was like, wow, that's incredible. And he goes, look, that's tough love. That's how we do it here. It's tough love. And that, um, That wouldn't fly in an academic setting. (laughs) That's not inclusive. That's not understanding. But in that setting, he knew that's what it took. And so things like that, I want to study what it takes to build a compassionate community in different settings. So anyway, sorry, that's a long answer, but you got me started. So,
0: Wow. That's awesome. For a person who's thinking about going back and getting an advanced degree, any advice? What do you Ask think?
2: a lot of people <laughs> who are in that career field first, yeah. because it's a pretty big, not just financial investment, but your time, your energy. Um, and if you have a family, obviously there's other, you know, other implications too. But I think, I think what was helpful for me, even though I didn't like it at the time <laughs> is I felt like I really had, I had to be vetted before I went to back to school. So I was in the ministry full time and Jameson really want, he wanted to know exactly how much it was going to cost. And uh, he wanted me to talk to people who were in, you know, in that field just to make sure it was really what I wanted. Um, and it was really helpful. I think it narrowed because like I said, I started out thinking I wanted to do law school and the more I talked to lawyers <laughs> the more I became convinced I really did not want to do law because they actually all dissuaded me from doing law
1: yeah.
2: um, but social work seems like something I could do alongside ministry and it also is a wide field so you can practice social work in a lot of different arenas and so for me I, I was able to talk to Um, several social workers I knew, and that was really helpful. I think I I was really grateful too. I did it part-time while I was doing ministry and the Philly church supported me, um, doing, you know, I did ministry part-time and school, part-time and that, I think it was, it was stressful at times for sure, but I'm grateful that I was able to do both. Um, and I think both of us love education. I mean, that's probably why.
0: Right. You guys are sound like gotta be learners we love to learn. Mm -hmm. And we
2: do love, I mean, one of our favorite things to do is probably just analyze the world and talk at night about (laughs) different things we're learning and reading and hearing. So I think it's part of our relationship too. Yeah. I think too,
1: I mean, one, uh, a quick answer is like, well, we both wanted this, you know, we wanted to, to get advanced degrees, which is kind of surprising for me. Like here. So I Like I said, I barely made it out of high school. I did very, very average in undergrad. And um, when I told my mom I was going back for a PhD, <laughs> she was like, James, she calls me Jame. And she was like, Jame, did you ever think when you were in high school, you'd go back for a PhD? And i like, no, mom. And then I go, hey mom, did you ever think that I would go? And she was like, no, I never thought dude So one, it, it became a desire. Um, but two, as disciples, I think, there's this there's this freedom but also like a obligation to make the most of, of what we've been given you know and and um, I don't think that means you have to go get a degree by any means um, but I think taking making the most of every opportunity that we've been given uh, I think that is part of discipleship you know yeah. and, and these opportunities presented themselves and and in my mind it's all related like what what she studied, what I'm studying, it's all about building the kingdom, building healthy, sustainable communities and and helping individuals and 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 so for us, it fit. I don't think it fits for everybody,
0: right? but
1: asking yourself lots of tough questions about that, I think is really healthy.
0: Well, especially if you're getting the financing from the university itself yeah. to pay for you to go to school, I go, man, you must be pretty special. That's pretty awesome that they're they want to pay your way.
1: It's, uh I, I don't think there's any, and, and this is going to sound like false humility. I, there is nothing special about me. I think God has blessed me with um, maybe the ability just to connect to people and and be able to connect to lots of different types of people. And so my advisor at Penn State is a great guy and has opened lots of doors for me. Wow. And, um, you know, I, I, that's all it is. Okay.
2: He also had the faith though to ask. I think that's the difference. Like I remember him telling me he was going to pray for a fully funded program for his master's. And I was like, there aren't fully funded programs for your master's.
0: There's exactly. only fully funded programs exactly. for PhD. It's the first time I've ever heard of that before. I was like, what? A master's? Oh yeah. my gosh.
2: But he had the faith to even think that it was
0: possible. Exactly. And
2: I just chuckled when it happened because I think that is who Jameson is. He... He thinks in possibilities and not
0: in constraints. That's awesome. So Lauren, you you have three kids already. You've got one on the way. I go, (laughs) whoa, okay. How do you do ministry with three kids and being pregnant?
2: (laughs) Um, I try to maximize the time where I don't have my children with me. (laughs) Because when they are with me... (laughs) As case in point, <laughs>
0: this is
1: great timing.
0: Perfect timing.
1: This is Jordan, our youngest. Currently, our youngest. Say hi, Jordan. Hey, Say Jordan. Hi. hi. <laughs> so, i uh, right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna so go. So
2: yeah, I yeah, I think. what. I've, I've really tried to maximize things like free child care at the YMCA, um, but also we've had our kids in preschool, you know, as soon as they were able to go a few days a week so that I could have some freed up time. We're, we are fortunate that our, you know, our town is small and the downtown butts up against the university. So I can, I can meet someone for coffee. I can in three hours I can do three things, which is really unlike anywhere else I've ever mm-hmm. lived in mm-hmm. my life. Right. Um, and so, um, but I think just, I think making the most of the time I have when I'm not with my kids and then making the most of the time I have when
0: I am with my kids. Wow. Um, so we'll you on. seem happy, you seem happy. I mean, you, you don't seem drug out or, um, uh, you know, just tired. You seem really joyful.
2: Thank you. I I really. I there have been seasons of ministry where I think I have been more on the tired, um, <laughs> strung out end, and I think I've, I think I've had to learn that, um, you know, burnout is a real thing, and I have to take care of myself. Kind of like I have to have my oxygen mask on before I can put an oxygen mask on, on somebody else. You know, um, like they tell you on the airplane. But but yeah, I I really. I really do love, I love doing ministry. I love that my children get, <clears throat> I love that my children get to be a part of what I do in a way and see the kingdom up close and personal. And, um, and I think that, you know, ministry is hard in that it's not a job with built-in boundaries per se, but it's also great in that you don't have to have that compartmentalization Right. In your life. And as a woman with young children, I, really
0: appreciate that well it makes me think about what you said initially back in the 90s 80s 90s it it seemed almost like there was a ministry pandemic sweeping the women's ministry leader ranks of chronic fatigue syndrome fibromyalgia all sorts of immune immune deficiency i mean just just crazy stuff what do you do to avoid that
2: i love sleep (laughs) (laughs) there you go and i always have um even you know even in high school even in college i was never someone that liked staying up late um i wish sometimes i had that capability to stay up late and do stuff but um but i think i think it helps me to i i like how i feel when i'm taking care of myself and i don't like how i feel when i'm not and so um i think learning there there i have for sure had seasons where i've had my own health issues and i've had to really take a look at my own stress levels um and honestly even too in the last year and a half i've been part of a codependency group that has been really helpful and transformational and helping me to kind of recognize like where I end, you know, like my limits and, that um, I'm not responsible for everyone and everything. And Mm. I think just the emotional being emotionally healthy, I think in the ministry is so important.
0: Oh, absolutely. Never more now than right now. What advice would you give to those who want to make this life count?
1: Man, that's a deep question. (laughs) Um, I, so I don't think we have any kind of special knowledge. Let me just say that first. Um, I I think, you know, anything that any of the experiences that we've been blessed with are because of God and the kingdom of God, the church, the people he's put us around. Um, having said that, I feel like we've gotten to live so far, like a really amazing life that, that, um, I'm just very grateful for. And that doesn't mean it's always easy. Usually it's hard. (laughs) Um, but but maybe that's OK, too, you know, um, being able to to become resilient and, and, and work through hard things is part of it, too. Um, I think that there's a there's a really great TED talk by Simon uh, Sinek that's uh, pretty famous and it's about finding your why. And I remember thinking the first time I heard that maybe, I don't know, it's more than 10 years old now. Um, and he's a pretty famous uh, social scientist and speaker at this point. Uh, but I remember thinking that that was really key. Like, why am I doing what I'm doing, and what's you know what is it that I'm trying to accomplish in all these different avenues? And then I remember Lauren telling me about this experience that she had um, when she was interning in the, the the cancer clinic at at the University of Pennsylvania Hospital and uh do you want to talk about the guy the the builder yeah
2: yeah i had this interesting conversation with a cancer patient who was high up in some pharmaceutical company and he was uh he was an engineer but he wasn't a chemical engineer i think he was a probably like a civil engineer but anyways i was like well how does you know how did you end up in pharmaceuticals doesn't really seem like you know the, the same path and he goes well i'm a builder no matter where i go i'm gonna build things And that just stuck in my head and it stuck with me. And I think it's really made me think about, you know, what am I uniquely qualified to do or who am I, you know, who did God make me? Um, I know Robert Carrillo did a lesson years ago that I actually wasn't even in, but Jameson shared it with me, but he shared a line that said only do what only you can do. And I think, I think both of us have tried to live by that line, like only choosing to do the things that only we can do and, and empowering other people to only do the things that only they can do.
1: Yeah. And so I think about the, you know, that sort of discovering the why behind what it is that you're doing. And also this guy who was at a point in his life where he was undergoing some very serious treatment for cancer to say, you know, no matter what I'm doing, I'm a builder because it's who I am. And, that hit me as well. And I, I think over the years, I've decided, okay, so what's my thing? And, and what I think is, I'm a community builder, that's what I am. And that, that's what I want to be. And so whether it's at camp, or in North Philly, or at Penn State, or in the church, or hope for kids or, or hope for water, whatever it that is, I'm doing whether it's with my family, my goal is to build community and, and healthy, sustainable communities, where people are healthy spiritually and mentally and emotionally and physically. And so again, it's a long winding road to try and answer your question, but I think finding, finding things that you really love to do that also align with the things that we know God loves and um, even expects from us. And then just making the most of that and being really faithful that God's going to use each of us, when we choose that God's going to use each of us to do really amazing things. Um, Cause then you do start to think in possibilities rather than constraints. And, and so I think developing some while seeking first, the kingdom developing some maybe deeper why of what it is that you're doing and what's the real motivation and purpose behind it.
2: For me, I see myself more as a healer um, wanting to bring healing. And I think that, um, yeah, I just think it's important to figure out what, what your, what your gifts are. Hmm. And also, I think Jameson's really good at this and he's helped me with this. And even to your point of like, what helps me stay joyful, I think you have to do things that make you come alive. I think when, when life becomes drudgery and your like job becomes drudgery and <laughs> it's just, that's not, I don't think that's what God called us to. I think he, he called us to be co-rulers, you know, co-heirs and, and he, um you know he gave us the ability to to really be co-creators in some ways of what we want to see happen in our lives
0: right right uh, so there have been times in ministry i remember when we were planning a church in oregon and i talked to chris schwarzenberger and amy and just tell them i'm I'm not having enough fun right now let's go see a movie or something you know it's like you have to kind of uh, check your own temperature, you know, just kind of do a little self-diagnosis and just go, okay, I'm not as happy as I need to be right now. I I better make some adjustments, you know, not that happiness is the ultimate goal, but it it is a, one of the indicator lights on your dashboard that you better pay attention to and do what you can to keep the joy level up and and keep yourself moving in the right direction. So that's great.
1: If I could just tell one more story to sort of, um, please round out that point. I think so earlier today I was in a Bible study, uh, with a, a student on campus at Penn state. And, um, I just happened to meet him, uh, cause he had a cool jacket on and I was like, Hey, that's a cool jacket. We got to talk in and, uh, I didn't reach out to him or anything at that point, but then I saw him with the jacket again. And so got another opportunity a few days later. Uh, to reach out to him and he's now been coming out to bible talk with campus swap and um so we sat down and studied the bible today and we talked about seeking god and the first scripture we looked at was in john 10 10 where jesus says um that he's here to give us life to the full and uh you know when i started talking about that i see this guy who's like kind of a muscle head you know he's a real smart guy but very stoic and um his, his face lights up when I started talking about life to the full. Mm. And then we looked at Acts 17, where Paul talks about God determining times and places so we can seek God and reach out to him and find him. And we connected that with the idea of life to the full. And um, so if there is any advice out in, in this story for um, people who might be listening and thinking about, how do I have life to the full? I mean, I think those two things are connected, like seeking, reaching out and finding God in an ever-increasing way. Yeah. is how we experience life to the full. And and we were put here for life to the full and and nothing less than that. And that looks different for everybody and there's no one model for it. And that's the beautiful thing. Um, but I think God really wants us to love our lives and love the experience of life that he's given us. And um, and the primary way we would do that is man seeking him, reaching out to him and finding him. Uh, and then being able to share that. I mean, it I got to hear. So I asked him if he wanted to pray at the end of the study. And he was like, well, I've never prayed. Um, so maybe you can teach me. And, uh, so I prayed first and then he prayed and it was the first time it was his first words to God wow. ever. Wow. And I got to be there for it. That's life to the full. Yeah. That was amazing.
0: That's <laughs> awesome. Thank you guys so much for your time.
2: Thank you.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having us. This was really uh, a lot of fun and I appreciate you reaching out to us and uh, just giving us the opportunity. Thanks yeah. A lot.
0: And thank you for all your work with hope through the years. I know that you counseled my kids and and know them through that. And thank you for your influence in my son-in-law's life, Felipe. He says, oh, <laughs> great, great guy and great family too. So yeah. Love you guys so much. Thanks for your time.
1: Oh, thanks so much, Rob. Love you too.
0: Thank you so much for joining the Rob Skinner podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, please hit the subscribe button and let your friends know about it and how to find it. Because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no regrets life, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.